Hey, Pastor Jack here, and I want to uh, invite you to sit with us right now for a very, very special installment here on this podcast, our real life podcast, where we had uh, out with us uh, Tony Perkins, who wears so many hats in our nation, and uh, some of them are extremely relevant to the world that you live in today. I think you're going to find this an extremely informative uh, sit-down podcast get-together. So um, listen, would love to hear from you uh, regarding what you think and how you would like to hear more of this, because there's, there's just so much happening. And so once again, Tony Perkins, he and I sat down and we had a very special podcast together. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. God bless you. Good morning. <laughs> Good to see you. Oh, so, Pastor Jack's wearing a jacket this morning because he loves me so much. I'm wearing jeans because that's, I love him so much. That's true. Yeah. We should get a close-up of that. <laughs> that is so true. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Tony was just reminding me before service that um, one of the times... I don't know if it was the first time or what, but you showed up in a suit and you taught. And one of our pastors, Jeff Kearns, while Tony was teaching first service, Jeff Kearns drove over somewhere and bought a Hawaiian shirt and brought it back. And Tony did, I think, second and third service with a Hawaiian shirt on. Yeah, so I I never bring a tie to California anymore. That's good. That's good. That's good. Well, you guys, here's what we're going to do uh, today, and we're actually hoping, because we know, Tony, this is a pretty, pretty cool thing. We've never, we never intended to do this, it just happened, and that is there are many hundreds and hundreds of groups of people that get together, they contact us, they let us know that they view, they live stream our services, second, first, second, or third services on Sunday, uh, just because they don't have churches in their area that teach the Word of God, nor do they have churches that engage the culture. And so um, today, with what we're talking about, we're not only talking to you, the church today, but beyond these walls. And so um, I have a list, and I, I don't want to be married to the list unless the Lord maybe perhaps wants to take us uh, somewhere else. But give us a little bit. I gave you a quick intro. There's some people here that are new. Tell us about yourself. Um, just a, a flyover. Well, most uh, unlikely person to be involved in politics in Washington, D.C. That was nothing I ever wanted to do. Uh, I came to Christ uh, at a young age, about nine years old, born into an unchurched home. And um, when we came to Christ, my parents came to Christ. We were at church every Sunday after that point. It was a small church. And so at an early age, I, I learned that I wanted to serve the Lord somehow. First, I wanted to be on the back of a garbage truck. You know, just I thought that would be a great job working on a garbage truck. <laughs> uh, that quickly passed, and I wanted to become a policeman. And that was, uh, and I ended up doing the first thing. I'm in Washington on the back of a garbage truck, it feels like. Oh, uh, but, right. um, That's good. But I, I just wanted to be a, a police officer, and, and I ultimately had a chance to do that. Uh, I had a chance to be a pastor. Um, politics was really never anything I wanted to do, but the Lord, if we're going to follow the Lord, we got to put our desires, our goals aside and our, our, it's what Jesus said in, in Matthew six thirty three: seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you. And I'll tell you what, the, if we live and follow Jesus Christ, where he says, take up your cross and follow me daily, deny yourself. If we choose to live that way. This is the most exciting life to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm so glad you said that because just as you began to, you know, to say sacrifice and to put God first, immediately, and you just said it, but immediately in my mind it happened uh, to be or to recall the fact that when you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll grant unto you the desires of your heart. So for some of you that are thinking, oh my goodness, he's talking about, you know, serving the Lord. Is he going to, is God going to make me go to Detroit or is he going to move me somewhere? Listen, here's the great thing about what Tony's talking about. I mean, you're already about. in California. This, I mean, so, so. this is true. This is true. But our weather is yeah, the better weather is to good. fight in. The so. Uh, but the but the truth of the matter is that um, when you put him, when you put Jesus first in your life, the sacrifices become blessings. 
people will come and say to you, oh, Tony, thank you for the sacrifice you're making. And it's like, are you kidding? I wouldn't be doing anything else. It's a joy. So remember that, especially some of you young people out there. Uh, serving him is a delight. And um, Tony, you said it perfectly. We believe here that uh, if serving Jesus is boring, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the, the, the main thing, I, uh, main point I want to make before we get into this conversation is that I come to this because of my faith. I come to this role in, in influencing government, as we'll talk about here in a moment, because of my faith in Jesus Christ and the lordship of Jesus Christ, not only over my life, but over all things. And, and we need to surrender everything to him. That includes not just our families, our finances, but in how we vote and how we engage the culture around us. Yep. And thus we are here today for that very thing. I have down here question, question number one for Tony. As Christians in the United States, what should our stewardship look like when it comes to the institution of government? Well, let me ask you a question first. Do you think God is concerned about how we raise our kids? 100%. Yeah, he talks about it in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. Do you think he's interested in how we uh, spend our money? Yep. I mean, he talks about that in, in Matthew uh, chapter 6, where he talks about not storing up things in this earth that moth and rust will destroy, but laying up treasures in heaven. Is he concerned about then how we share our faith in the world around us? Of course. Does he want you to share your faith? He tells us that in Matthew chapter 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples. In fact, you know that about 60% of people today who come to Christ do so outside the walls of a church. It's through family and friends, often in the workplace, in the home that share the faith. Um, Only about 17% of people come to faith in Jesus Christ because of a staff member. Not necessarily a pastor, but a staff member at a church, Sunday school teacher, secretary. So most people come to Christ outside the walls of the church. So if God's concerned about all those things, is he not concerned about government and the laws and policies that they pass that affect all of those things? Absolutely. He is. And so if we're going to have a government that respects our right as parents to raise our kids and teach them, then we need to shape those policies. If we're concerned about how our money is spent As American citizens, whether or not it's funding abortion or it's funding transgender surgeries or we're concerned about our ability to share our faith, we need to be concerned about the laws, like the laws in California that ban or trying to ban the counseling of people who are confused about their gender identity. We need to be able to share the truth freely. And that is what God has not only given us the right to do, but called us to do. Therefore, we need to be involved and engaged in shaping the policies that affect all of those things. Well, listen, Tony, it's not one of my questions, but someone's going to counter back and say, well, brother, there was preface it with that. Well, brother, we're a church and we just we we preach the gospel. How many times have you and I heard that? I hear it all the time. And my question is, do you want to continue to preach the gospel? <laughs> yeah. If they're, not shy, if they're not engaging and if they're not having their church engage the culture and the decision-making process. Well, it's because what, what today we have, <laughs> our policies are based upon feelings. And if you're offending someone then you don't have a right to speak in, in the eyes of today's culture. Well, what is more offensive than telling someone that they're a sinner and they need a savior? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's offensive. But see, Jesus, didn't, Jesus came to this earth because God loved us. John 3.16. How many know John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He came to love us, not to affirm us. I want you to understand the difference between that. There's a a conflation of terms today in our culture where love and affirmation are the same. If God could not affirm us in our sin, because if that were the truth, if that were the case, we're going to hell. He didn't say, oh, you're fine, just keep doing what you're doing. No, I love you enough that I'm going to send my son to die for your sins so that if by faith you accept him confess your sins, 
and make him the Lord of your life, then you're my child and you're going to spend eternity with me. And so today as Christians, as the church, representatives of Jesus Christ, we should love everyone. Hear me. We should love everyone. There is no one that is beyond the love of Jesus Christ, but we cannot affirm everyone and the choices they make. That's exactly, that's exactly well said and true. Just the whole presupposition of the fact that Jesus dying, dying for what? God does love us, but Jesus died. So because God loves us, Jesus died so we would be transformed rather than affirmed. Absolutely. Right? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. That we are to be living sacrifices and that we are transforming our minds by the renewing our minds by the transforming through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to be, first off, we need to realize we need a savior. And we need churches that are willing to say that. And we need to share that faith, not out, of, not out of a desire to hurt anyone or wound anyone, but so that they might come to know the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yeah, and as Pastor Jack said earlier, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And we need churches that are not only willing, but able to speak that truth. As you mentioned, uh, I chair the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, nine-member commission, bipartisan, and um, I, in fact, later this month, I'll be in, uh, in, in Africa, and uh, we go to all the bad places. Uh, you know, you mentioned Ephesus. I, I was uh, 30 minutes from Ephesus when I went to get Pastor Brunson out of prison and bring him home for uh, the administration uh, about a year and a half ago. And about 80% of the world's population lives under repressive regimes where they cannot practice their faith. They cannot live out their faith. They cannot speak the gospel freely without fear of going to jail. So I think it's important that we're protecting and using our freedoms to defend the freedoms of others. But we must use our freedoms here lest we lose them. That's right. And, And essential to that. And the reason I do what I do, I don't care about politics. In fact, I hate politics. Mm -hmm. But I love the gospel of Jesus Christ and the freedoms that we have as Americans and the ability to share that and see lives transformed by the truth of the gospel. We must never, ever surrender that. Wow. Wow. Um, That's awesome. I wanted to say something. I'm going to keep going. Question number two. Tony, in your opinion... Why has the Christian church, the Christian community, retreated from influencing its culture? I don't think we'll get beyond this question. I know. It's true. Fear. Yep. Fear of man and a lack of reverence for God. That's right. In fact, that's why I wrote the book, No Fear, is because I'm looking for those, and there are young people out there, and this is what gives me great hope for this upcoming generation, that there are young people who, unlike our generation, Jack, you know, where I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma, everybody went to church, and, and so it was just kind of a default. Today, for a young person to follow Jesus Christ openly, it cost them something. Yeah. And so I'm seeing a generation that's standing up for their faith in Jesus Christ, and it gives me great hope. But there's so many that are, are fearful of what men think, fearful of what other people think, rather than being reverent toward God. When God, when Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, and I mentioned this earlier, if you want to be my follower, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And a cross, I'm not, he wasn't talking about a necklace. He was talking (laughs) about death. Yeah. And we've got to be willing to die to ourselves. That means we, we need to be willing to sustain a negative post on Facebook. I was just going to comment about that. Yeah. So many Christians are concerned about what other people think about them. I'm going to tell you right now, brother, I don't care what people think. Yep. I mean, the only person, I mean, let me, let me, as long as my relationship and I have accountability, in fact, Jack's one of my accountability partners, but as long as I'm walking in fellowship with the Lord. And and you know that, you know, if you're in the right relationship with the Lord or not in your prayer time and, and you're in the word. 
If I know I'm in the right relationship with the Lord, my wife loves me and my kids respect me. Nothing else matters. That's right. Because I'm treating my wife right and she would love me. Now, I said kids respect me, not like me. Uh, respect me. <laughs> because, and that's a big deal. That and is. I think a, a lot of our young people are walking away from the church because they don't respect their parents because their, spar- their parents, and particularly the fathers, are not walking in integrity before the Lord. That's right. And, and that's one of the reasons that at FRC, one of the things we've been doing, we just launched the Stand Courageous Men's Conferences because we believe if we can reach the men, the men are really the cornerstone of society because we see the families are falling apart because men are not together the way they should be spiritually. And when a man is walking with the Lord, his relationship with his wife is right. And when the relationship with his spouse is right, the kids come in order and, and guess what? The church becomes stronger. That's right. The community is better, and the kingdom is advanced. That's right on. Good answer. Good answer. Question number three on my list is, what do you say to the person who says... We, let, me, let me go back to that. Yeah. I told you I wanted to stay on that question for a little bit. Okay, you go right ahead. <laughs> you know, I hear this a lot of times. Oh, just, why don't you just be like Jesus and just, just be love and just be... You know, they make Jesus out as if he were some kind of... Yeah. I don't know if... Well, I'm not politically correct, so I can say it. Like a pansy. I mean, like he's just a... I was going to say wimp. A wimp. Pansy, okay. okay. A wimp. Jesus was a man's man. Yeah. I mean, he was a carpenter. He'd go ahead and cut down trees and make it into things. Yeah. And I mean, just if you, if you go, if you look at what the, and I, I hate to look at this, but you, you look at the crucifixion and that whole process leading up to yeah. that. I mean, the endurance that it took just to go through that process. This, he was a man. We hear all the time about, oh, just love like Jesus. Well, yes, love like Jesus. But Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. Mm-hmm. I came to bring a sword, That's right. division. And notice where he says this in, uh, in Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read this. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't want us to have strong families. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if we elevate a relationship in the home above our relationship with him... That's not what he's called us to. In fact, nothing is clearer today than this verse to me. When you see parents that are rejecting the truth of God's word because their children have chosen behavior that is incompatible with scripture. That's right. Epidemic. This is the division. Parents... If our children have chosen to go a different path, we need to pray for them. We need to, 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 to seek to rescue them. But we cannot change the truth to fit the choices that other people make. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, I've, if you're going to stand with me, there are going to be those who are going to turn on you. Because narrow is the way. And there, there's no two ways to heaven. There is one way. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to abide in him and obey him. You know, listen, parents, what Tony just said, we're watching it. We see it all the time in ministry where uh, the parents will say, our son or our daughter has now chosen this uh, lifestyle to, to, to embrace or to go down. And um, we don't know what to do about that. We don't know what to say about that. We don't know. And they should know, but they don't know. But this so often comes out of a friendship parenthood weirdness where the parents grew that kid up in a, in a uh, rather than being the parent that God ordained them right. to be, the parent tried to be the best friend to the kid, which never works. Right. So then the parent doesn't know what to say. And the kid, they watch the kid go down the path of self-destruction. I don't care what you say. It's going to head to self-destruction and be it aberrant sex 
be it the LBGTQ, be it drugs, be it violence, it doesn't matter what it is. If they walk away from the Lord and they're going down that path, if the parents are vacillating, if they are no longer or have never been an anchor point, then the poor kids got nowhere to return to when they are coming out of this disaster. And so mom and dad, I'm encouraging you to stand strong. You can tell your kid, listen, your mom and I do not agree with your lifestyle choice. You can't bring it into this home. We will not tolerate this, but we love you with all of our heart. Absolutely. They're going to counter back and say, if you loved me like Jesus loved me, you'd accept me just the way that I am. That is not biblical. That's not theology. They're going to, they're going to get mad and cry and kick and leave. You have to hold your ground because you've got to be the place of truth where they can come back to, to get the answer. Don't waver. If you've been wavering, stop now and be strong about that. Don't waver. And and on that, you know, addressing the elephant in the room and the culture today on the whole LGBT issue, you you can't buy into the junk science that says that we're Mm -hmm. made that way and therefore we have to do it. Now, I, I will acknowledge this, that there are environmental factors. There are, when I say environmental there is the way people are raised, experiences that yes. they have, the amount of abuse that takes yes. place today in our culture, sexual abuse, that there are those that will develop same-sex attractions for a multitude of reasons. So those are real. But just as I'm a heterosexual, I don't have to act on all of the, the urges that I might have. In fact, we're called to be holy. That's right. And the same is true, regardless of what that attraction may be. Uh-huh. But to point, Jack's point, I want, I want to underscore this, that we are to love our children. We are to love our neighbors. We are to love, no matter what choices people make, we love them. We pray for them. But love often requires that we speak truth. You know, if you were driving down the, the road at 3 o'clock in the morning and you saw a house on fire, would you be hesitant to, to go and kick that door in, afraid that you might wake people up and disturb their sleep? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, you, you would kick the door in and, and, and rescue the people that were inside yeah. the house. The same is true. We can't be worried about offending people because we speak truth into their lives. But here's, a, here's a one caveat, and we can move to the next question. We speak the truth, as Ephesians 4 says, in love. Yeah. We should never speak truth to win a debate to, to take, get the high ground, we should speak truth because we want to rescue a life that is in bondage, that is not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. We speak truth. We speak truth so that people will be set free. And as Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. We want people to experience all that Jesus came to give them. That's good. That's good. You kind of already answered this, but just in case you want to throw something else on there, what would you say to the person that says, we don't discuss religion or politics in our family? What do you talk about? What else is there? Well, I mean, I I refuse to talk about sports and weather because they're meaningless. That's true. That's true. I mean, think about it. Next year, it's going to, I mean, who's going to, you're going to forget who was in the Super Bowl. You're going to forget the, the World Series and the weather. It changes tomorrow. But God is the same yesterday, today, yeah, and forever. That's great. And isn't it funny? That's what we grew up, or I grew up hearing. We don't talk about religion or politics. Uh, but the funny thing is those are the two areas of life that uh, have the greatest blessing or curse upon you. Right? Think about it. And I personally believe, when I read my Bible, you can't separate the two. I know a lot of people, I'm sure they just bombard you. I get a lot of mail and a lot of comments from people saying, I can't believe that as a pastor you're talking about politics. Haven't you heard of separation of church and state? Uh, And all this kind of stuff. And it's so bizarre because that person, I don't know who that person might be, but I know that they do not practice what they're preaching. Because if it... They might get concerned because they go to the gas station. I think California, we have a world's record here in California, our gas. One gallon of gas, Tony, 
that enters your tank here in California is taxed, I think, 17 times before it gets into your tank, California taxes. Um, Now, that person who says, I don't get involved in religion or politics, they're not very happy about those taxes. That's politics. Well, when somebody says, you know what? Uh, We have... um, we have decided in Sacramento that your kids are going to have to, uh, we're going to force your kids to, to look at porn in the public school system. What are you going to do to that? Well, I don't get involved in politics. You do understand that the, the political side of things, good, bad, or ugly, they have no qualms about getting involved in your life. They'll come after you now. Did any of you happen to see, if you happen to... Uh, Follow me on Facebook. Did you see? I got a. I might have sent it to you, Tony. I got a picture. Shannon Grove, Senator Grove, walked into her office on Valentine's Day in Sacramento, and on her desk was a gift from Planned Parenthood. From Planned Parenthood on her desk, and it turns out that it was on the desk of all the Republicans and the Republicans only, and it was. Valentine's Day look with condoms and a statement. And on the statement, it said, um, well, I can't say what it said, but it said, don't, don't, uh, don't blank without us and don't blank with us. And Shannon called me and she said, she said, Pastor Jack, Am I wrong in viewing that as a threat? I'm being threatened by Planned Parenthood right now not to stand up against them in their little cute Valentine's Day gift. But did you, you, I don't know if you saw that or not, but hopefully you did. Let, let me add insult to injury. You know who paid for that? Uh, I did, I you guess. Did. Yeah. With... Yes, they receive about uh, $500 million a year in, in tax dollars. Yep. And, and a lot of it is in what would be called family planning. Now, under this administration, even though the Congress has not worked with the president, the president has uh, called, put back in place actually something Ronald Reagan, former governor of California, uh, did when he was president called a co-location. It's a separation where if you get family planning dollars, that's Title Ten dollars. Quite frankly, I don't think the government should be involved in that's it right. anyway. But Agreed. I mean, a family planning for me is that we had all the girls in the spring and all the boys in the fall. Uh, so <laughs> that, that's family planning. To that's me. pretty good planning. But it is. Pull that is. off. I don't know how I did it, but I was good. It's um, <laughs> a good aim. But, the, the co-location says you can't do abortions and family planning in the same facility because we're not going to pay for abortions. So as a result, Planned Parenthood has walked away from about $60 million in federal dollars because the president says you can't do both. Right so on. that's it. We're moving in the right direction. <laughs> right but let me go to this point of the things that matter most are the very things that people don't want us to talk about. And as I mentioned earlier, the, the bill that was uh, progressing through uh, California, and actually a, a form of it became law, to ban therapy, chosen counseling for those that were dealing with same-sex attractions. Why, why is that? I mean, if, if, if we're not, as Christians, we're not fearful about having conversations. We can have a dialogue because we know the truth will prevail. But what we're seeing increasingly is that we can't have conversations. I've watched in, the, in my almost 20 years at the Family Research Council where we've gone to where I used to have debates on MSNBC and CNN about all these big issues. I haven't been on uh, MSNBC since Barack Obama was president yeah. because they're only talking one side. They don't want to have a discussion. They don't want to have a debate. And we cannot... We cannot shrink back when we have the truth, when we have the remedy. That's the beauty. We have to speak truth. God has called us to speak the truth in love. We cannot fear man. We have to have a greater reverence for God. and res- We just have to leave the outcome to God, but we have to speak. And we must never, ever surrender our right to speak truth in this culture. Ugh. I want to, yes, to what you just said, but I'm afraid that 
far too many qualified citizens have surrendered. They would never admit to surrendering. But, you know, to register to vote, Tony, I got to fill out a piece of paper. And then I got to go on Tuesday to vote. And, you know, nothing seems to, is this not the California lamentation? Nothing changes anyway. Or if we do change something, the court will just overturn it. We've got this dirge that we hum to ourselves about. And we've got to break out of that. We've got, you guys have been hearing from this pulpit for a while. I am unusually optimistic. Poor Tony, he's been hearing it. I know, it, I, I tell him in the face, but I, I'm, I'm sure his eyes roll in the back of his head. Tony, there's something happening in California. People are waking up. Even Democrats are angry. That's a big indicator when Democrats are angry about the way things are going. Something's happening, but we must not grow weary at well-doing. And we must not. This is a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. Is God has given you the opportunity, and he's made it clear in that talent, when he gave one man ten talents to invest in the kingdom until he came back, another man five and another man three, and the, the, the master went away, and the first two invested their opportunities, and when the master returned from his long journey, they were blessed and they were given a reward for their responsibility. But the one guy who had little, remember, he had little, he thought, I don't have as much as the other people do. In other words, hypothetically, who am I? I'm not a Tony Perkins or I'm not whoever. So what can I do? Watch out for that thinking because God has given you the opportunity to make a difference and you are not to bury it. Look, it doesn't go well in the parable. It doesn't go well to the person who was given the opportunity and then buries it. And Jesus comes back and says, what would you do with your life for me? Oh, I I was scared. And so I didn't do anything with it. And Jesus said, you're a wicked servant. So you've got to seize every opportunity. And I'm a firm believer. If there are no opportunities to be seized, create them. Run for office yourself. Make some noise. Get it going. We were talking the other day. uh, There's a young lady running up in the 12th district against Nancy Pelosi. She took some money and she hired an airplane. You know the planes that pull the signs around? And for three hours, an airplane flew over San Francisco and it said, Pelosi for prison, vote for Deanna. Okay, that's doing something. That's doing something. But um, you, you can't sit it out. The, the evangelical vote has got to get up and show up. And um, my, my big push is you don't need to get bogged down in the, in the weeds. Look at the, look at the platform of the two parties. Vote pro-life. And it's as simple as that. Well, I know you're excited about... California's prospects. I, I took him in to see the president, and, and the president was speaking and interrupted the president, saying, You're going to come to California. <laughs> and I guess he's coming to California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got a lot of stroke. But it was biblical. It was biblical. Poor Tony. Uh, so Trump is, is here, and Tony's about where this flag case is, and I'm, I'm over here, and I'm and I, I said, because Trump was talking, I said, Mr. President. And he kept talking. I said, Mr. President, which is biblical. Abraham, Abraham. Peter, Peter. Trump, Trump. And, uh, and I made a, I made a bit. he knows, because I just kind of went down into the depression pit after that. I looked over at Tony, and Tony goes like this. And I knew I'll never be in the White House again after that. But um, let, let me share a quick story, if I can, from yeah, yeah. Uh, history, from your standpoint of people saying, you know, it doesn't matter what we do here in California. Our vote doesn't matter. One of my favorite his, his figures from history, there's many, but one is John Quincy Adams. Uh, and I don't know if you know about John Quincy Adams, but he was, he was president. His father had been president, John Adams. But there's a distinctive about him. Anybody know what it is? Only president... To have served president and then turned around and ran for Congress. Oh, yeah, you did. Only one. 
I served about 20 years in Congress after being one-term president. Do you know why he ran for Congress? To end slavery. He was so moved that slavery was, was this blemish, this was wrong for America. And it was taught to him by his mother who homeschooled him. And so he, he runs to, to uh, make this an issue. Mm. And in 1836, watch this, Congress passed the gag rule. You could not even bring up the word slavery on the House floor because they didn't want to be confronted with it. Wow. And so he was, he was asked about this. He said, by, a, I guess, a reporter with the fake news, said, John, John Quincy Adams. The CNN goes way back. Yeah, they do. They do. They said, aren't you, aren't you discouraged? Aren't you ready to give up? Here, you, you ran for Congress. You've been serving in Congress to end slavery. Now you can't even talk about it. And this is what he said. He said, duty is ours. Results belong to God. I love it. Love it. That's good. Question four. Tony, what can you say about President Trump's ability to get things done and his leadership style... Uh, when so much is against him. How does he, he, he's made more progress than any president in three years, and yet he's had more opposition than any president. It, it is amazing. I'm not, I, I've been in with him a number of times, and we've, we've prayed with him, but I, I, I mentioned this to him one time. I said, Mr. President, I just, people are praying for you all across this country. And, and I hear it everywhere I go. People are telling the president I'm praying for him, and, and he knows it. He knows that people are praying for him, and I can see it. It's, it is divine strength because he's God's instrument for this moment in that God is using him just as he's used other historical figures right. uh, in the history of mankind. And it is quite remarkable. But here's, again, one of the things you have to be very cognizant of. I pray for the president every day. I pray for his protection. I pray for his relationship with the Lord. I pray that God would just work in his life. But we've got to keep praying for him and that he has wisdom. I prayed for Barack Obama uh, because we're commanded to pray. Yes. And we need to pray for them that they make the right decisions. But we need to, the, the more fervent we are in our prayers for him, I believe yes. it is evidenced by what this administration is doing. In fact, I think I have a, 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 a quick slide to, to put up there because we don't have time to go through all of this. But if you'd like to see a five-page list of what this administration has done on life, on religious liberty, on Justice the things that, that we care about, the things that you preach about, the things that the Bible speaks of, just text to uh, 51555 actions. Put that in the message line, actions to 51555, and I'll send you this list. It'll, it'll come back to you of this all that this administration has done. And here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to look at it, but I also want you to share it with your friends who would say, you know what, the elections don't matter. I'm telling you right now, this past election mattered. We were, we were our, our nation, our republic, was hanging by a thread over a raging fire. And fortunately, I believe God gave us a reprieve. Absolutely. But we're going to be back in the same position this fall because... While this president, and you mentioned about all the opposition that he's getting, one of the reasons, and I said this on Fox and Friends uh, a week before last, one of the reasons this president is so opposed by the left is because he is not just stopping the bad policies of the previous administration. He's dismantling the infrastructure of the left going back to FDR. Yeah. Yep. And he's empowering families. He's empowering churches. He, he is bringing balance back to our republic. And all of that could be lost because I am telling you, when the left comes back in, they're going to come back with a vengeance. And the freedoms that this administration has been restoring are going to be under a tremendous assault. And that's, that covers all the things we've been talking about this morning. Make sure you text that and you get that information. I had a pastor in Los Angeles tell me, what good has President Trump done? Only, only, he has only caused division. Now, this guy is a disciple of MSNBC, probably, this pastor. Well, let me tell you why there's division. Okay, there's division. The, the division lines in this country have been here. But President Trump is the first president that I have seen in, in this era that we live in that is willing to stand up 
and push back. That's the difference. Generally, the Republicans just kind of, the conservatives just say, all right, well, I'm not going to fight you. Look, some things, my friends, are worth fighting for. That's right. That's right. That's right. And we need to get, uh, we, need to, we need to stop. Oh, by the way, so I, I had him text and go look because he asked, what has Trump done? He was blown away at that list that you now have access to. Please do that. Second thing is, can we just stop whining about division? Because it's kind of clichéic. Uh, United States of America, I get that. I understand that. Out of many, one, I understand that. I get it. And we're, new, we're, we're, you know, we're a nation divided, things that never been the... Wait a minute. Not all division is bad. What did Jesus say? Exactly. Listen, this split, this battle between light and darkness is real. You've been learning about it on Sunday mornings. It's literally real and it's played out in the physical realm. And so this division is good. Look, we don't need to get into name calling at all, but there's tons of Republicans that don't like Trump because he's shaken up what Tony mentions. I'll say the status quo of things. He's pulled the mask off of the shenanigans there, and people don't like it. We have, as believers, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit residing within you. And the Holy Spirit can, can bring to your understanding the things that are happening. And you just need to pray for that understanding, because what we see in the natural reflects what's happening in the spiritual. Yeah. And in the parable, there's a parable that Jesus tells about the wheat and the tares. You might remember that parable where they they put out the seed and then all of a sudden they see these weeds growing among the the wheat. And the the question is, what happened? Well, while the servants slept, men came in and sowed these tares, these weeds. It's happened in our culture. Mm -hmm. But then there became this preoccupation with the evil uh, or the, the weeds. Should we pull them up? And and the master said, no, 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 just wait, because as it progresses, there's going to be a clear delineation between the two. And then Jesus later gives the the explanation of this parable. He goes, this is like the end times. My friends, I believe we're in that time where evil is becoming more pronounced. I mean, how many would say evil is clearly evil in our culture today? But the good is more pronounced than ever. More people are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ in some of these places around the world, in large part because of this administration's focus on international religious freedom. Now, our government can't take the gospel, but our government can certainly open doors so that the church can take the gospel around the world and even here in this country. The president, you know, just recently, an executive order on June 16th on prayer back in our schools, defending children and their right to pray. Now, look, if that, if that bothers you, you're, you're, if that bothers you, you don't know anything about American history. If that bothers you, Something's wrong with you. I mean, you got to admit. Well, I don't think prayer should be in school. I used to go to school. I'm old enough that when that there was prayer in school, and then we came back from one summer break, and no more prayer, no more prayer allowed. And wow, this is exactly what we're talking about. Some people just can't get past though the the, the tweets and the and the stop watching the news. Yeah, really. you know, just stop. It's no good. It's, it's messed up. Just watch the results. Look at your 401k. Okay, look at the, look at, listen to things like what Tony's just telling you about. This is righteousness being done. Just the defense. Well, I'm getting ahead. Go, well, uh, let have, me give you a quick story on the school prayer. There's a, a girl by the name, a sophomore girl in Kentucky, Emily Chaney, who created in her school a prayer locker where students could anonymously drop off prayer requests and, and then there would be a group of students that would pray for it. Well, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, oh, one of those anti-Christian those organizations, yeah. le- wrote a letter to the school superintendent and the school board saying, that's a violation of separation church and state. We're going we're gonna to sue you. Well, unfortunately, they did what so many of our quote-unquote leaders do. They capitulated, but Emily did not. She went to a local pastor. That's why I love pastors. <laughs> and you've got one that I love. Let's hear it for Pastor Jack. And so 
they started a campaign called Pray Anyway. <laughs> and what they did is they actually spread it beyond this high school to all the high schools in yes. the region, and all of the students turned their lockers into prayer lockers. Oh. And there's more. That was part of the inspiration for the president to sign this executive order protecting school prayer. And Emily was in the Oval Office when oh, the president signed it into yeah. law. Love it. That's good. All right, Tony, what's at stake in these primaries and in the upcoming general election for 2020? Our freedom, our families, our future. It's all at stake. And our ability to live out our faith in a way that impacts the world around us. That's what's at stake. Our children and what they believe and, and what, the, what we can teach them. Look, they're not stopping at the doors of the church. I mean, you've seen that here and what they have been forcing, tried to force this church to do, even in your insurance program. Yeah to fund abortion. They're not gonna, they don't respect the doors of the church and they don't respect the doors of your home. No. Freedom. Freedom to walk as God designed you to walk and to live as he has called you to live. That's what's at stake. You know, listen, you guys, I want to encourage you. Um, it's quite shocking, especially in this last week. Um, a podcast, it's uh, Ted Cruz's podcast called The Verdict. Does anybody, does anybody listen to The Verdict? Uh, this last week, he talked about how critical this upcoming vote is. And hypothetically, he had talked about if, for example, um, the other team wins, or if, if uh, Bloomberg gets in, or if even Sanders gets in. He laid out what are the possibilities just regarding the cabinet members. And he said, for example, if Bernie Sanders gets elected, his cabinet member on secretary uh, for the, um, is it EPA? Does EPA have a secretary? Mm-hmm. EPA secretary? Or administrator. Administrator would be AOC. <laughs> no, you know, we laugh. We go, no, 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 but wait, look at what's at stake. Cows. Phil, f- yep, no more cows. No more in cows. California, cows are big yeah. business. No more cows. Cows are bad. She said, they said, he said, cows are bad. They got to go. But imagine, you say, oh, you know, let's just try out Bernie. He's funny. You have to understand something. These these guys have cabinet positions to fill. And they're going to fill them with the people that are absolutely delusional in their worldview. And so Ted Cruz goes down this list. And I got to tell you, the host that was with him said, I thought I was going to get some sleep this weekend. And apparently after hearing this podcast, I'm going to lay awake at night and worry about it. Well, it was an eye-opener. Cruz really stressed how absolutely vital this vote is. So I think Tony said it clear enough. Isaiah chapter 10, by the way, Isaiah 10 verse 1 says, Woe to those who, who write misfortune and pass unjust laws. God's watching all of that. Well, we should be anxious for nothing. That's right. But by prayer and supplication, make our request known to God. And as we do that, you see, God turns back around and he says, I've heard your prayer. Now get up and do something about it. Because we are, God, if you look through history, God moves through individuals, through men and through women, through children. And so we need to be in fellowship with God. We need to, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the first step to living the Christian life. You've got to be willing to surrender your life to him and come to him and say, look, I, I need a savior. And that savior is Jesus. And as we turn our lives over to him and we spend time, it's not just enough to, to, to check that box and say, well, I said a prayer or, you know, I, it's making him the Lord of your life. And that means you're spending time with him. You're reading the word of God. You're praying and you're, and you're listening to teaching and you're being discipled. And then he didn't call us to be reservoirs. He called us to be rivers yeah. and that what, we, what he pours into us, we give out freely to others. Yeah, amen. Well said. I want, to pay, um, I want to pay close attention to our time, but some of these next questions, Tony, just might sound kind of like housekeeping, but 
I know that for you and I, they're, they're not. Uh, we've already hit on abortion, but regarding abortion, the great American Holocaust, um, can you tell us more about what's being done about it right now? Well, let me just say, next, next month, I will be in the Supreme Court chambers for a case called June Medical Services versus Gee. It is a case out of Louisiana regarding um, admitting privileges for abortion doctors. Now, interesting enough, I actually authored the first law in Louisiana that was the foundation for this, this case, uh, the Abortion Clinic Regulation Act back in 1999. This could be the case that actually overturns the prevailing judicial, uh, ju- judicial prudence or judicial rulings for abortion, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And, and sending this back to the states where America will be predominantly a pro-life nation again. The reason this has happened, may happen, is because the president has put two constitutionalists onto the court in all. This is, this is huge. This is huge. In all, 190 judges on the courts that respect the Constitution. This is generational. And there will probably be two more appointments in the next term. And we could see a conservative Supreme Court for the next 40 years after this election. That's right. And... And and let me just say one other thing, not to cut you off, but let me say one more thing. We've been, how many of you prayed and repented for abortion? Oh, as a nation, absolutely, sure. What is, what is repentance in Greek? Metanoia. Which means? Turn the direction that you're heading. That's what's happening in America now. It is. Our policies are Changing. changing, which is repentance. It's being walked out, what we've been praying for decades we are about to see walked out. Listen, what he just said, what he just, what he just said, I know we have it differently in our minds because of ignorance, and I don't mean that in a rude way. Everyone wants to talk about revival, revival, revival. The next person that mentions revival to you, stop them and ask them to define what they mean. Oh, cool music, you know? Everybody sings kumbaya. No, revival is when God's people return to him and do the right thing. This is what Tony is describing. I know I'm going to get, bring it on. I'm going to get mail from pastors who are going to to say, oh man. No, listen, here's the deal. Revival, you're going to know it when the church turns around back to God and obeys God. And then the church goes out of its building and demands that the altars be torn down to these pagan gods of abortion and that the right thing be done. I don't know where we got this, this wimpified Christianity that I don't see anywhere in the scripture. Paul walked into Athens at the Agora, right there at the um, Acropolis and laid it down and challenged the gods and for them to, the Greeks to think again. To add to what Tony just said about what this administration's doing, and now, it's so great what Trump did the other day at the pro-life at the rally and even beforehand, that you guys remember, or maybe you don't remember, but Tony mentioned our health insurance. Uh, our health insurance as a staff, uh, I say we lost it. We lost our health insurance coverage uh, because we would not, when we got the letter from the governor's office, that the governor and the state attorney general has, re- has reviewed the Hobby Lobby case at the U.S. Supreme Court, and California has concluded that the Supreme Court's decision was unconstitutional. That's how delusional our leaders are. Supreme Court? Well, you're not the Supreme Court over California. We make up our own rules, and we got a letter saying... You will comply. You will. Your church tithe dollars will pay for elective abortions anyway. And we wrote a letter back and we sent it also to our attorneys. And we said, no, we will not pay. And so we've been standing in there. What is that now? Six years ago? Six years. Seemingly nothing's happened. Okay. 
Well, Trump makes the statement that he holds, he's going to give California 30 days to comply with federal law or hold them in violation or contempt of the Supreme Court. And then, and so for us, because we're, we're a lawsuit in that situation, um, it's, it's amazing. It's just amazing. Don't, don't stop standing for what's right. That's the great thing about being a Christian. If you know that you're biblically uh, correct on what you believe and what you're standing on, Tony said earlier, I don't care what people say about Facebook. How, how, you say, how can he say that? He, he's, he's so callous. He's so cold. No, 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 no. He knows that he's standing on biblical truth, so it doesn't matter what other people say because biblical truth is the final word. That's what you want to be sure that you're doing. So you just don't want to pick a fight to get in a fight. You want to stand and fight for what is true. And even if the whole world goes against you, on the day of judgment, you're going to be right. You'll be right. Uh, real quick, really quick. Um, so this, this, so the next three questions are, are rapid, rapid fire. Under the Obama administration, our military budget and R and D uh, for our military suffered greatly. Now uh, the United States military is trying to play catch up. Are we honestly making any headway in that effort? Yes. You said rapid fire. No, we'll keep going. And then, okay, so we'll come back. If we, no, okay, next one. Uh, can you talk to us about um, the real Christians in politics in Washington, D.C.? Can you tell us a little bit about the spiritual warfare they're under? Oh, yeah. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm, Tony, this question comes from me having been there with you last week and at the State of the Union. And... In feeling, discerning, and seeing evil that I don't see in the church, I don't see in Christian ministry, I don't know if I have the skin to put up with what Christian politicians deal with in Washington, D.C. I was, I was shocked at the level of warfare. It is warfare, and that's why I was mentioning earlier. We need to realize that what is playing out in the natural is only a reflection of what's happening in the spiritual and, and, and I want to encourage you, and this is one of the reasons I've been bringing pastors to Washington to meet with members of the cabinet, uh, some of the highest officials in our government, who are believers, who love the Lord Jesus Christ and simply want pastors to come in to pray with them and encourage them. And they're in Congress as well. There are, here, here, here's some more good news. Would you like good news? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. right. I just, just want to check. Just want to check. In the, in the, I'm going to talk about the Republicans for just a moment. In the, in the Congress, in the House of Representatives, there is no longer, after the last election, the 2018 election, there are no openly pro-abortion Republicans in the House of Representatives. There are, there are increasingly Christians. They're not in the majority yet, but they're very close among the, in the conservative ranks. More men and women of God are being called into that realm to stand for truth. We have more believers. I mean, believers that are not cultural believers, but believers that follow the Lord Jesus Christ that are in government today than at any time in my lifetime. So we need to pray for them. We need to encourage them. We need to be involved as the Lord calls us to, to be involved. And as Jack said earlier, maybe one of you, maybe the Lord's calling you to run for the school board, to run for the state legislature, to run for city council. I see it as a mission field. And, and some people say, I want to serve the Lord. There is a great place to serve the Lord in government and take the truth into the darkest recesses of what I believe is our culture today. And this is some of the places of government. Uh, final question. Uh, it's, uh, well, it depends on how it goes. We talked about it earlier. What do you imagine, Tony? happening to America, the church, and the Christian after uh, President Trump leaves office? I believe there is a lot at stake. Uh, but every election is important. Sure. Uh, and I've found that over my time that, you know, you hear this is the most important election of your lifetime. Well, that's true. Every election is the most important right. election of your lifetime. 
because it goes back to the parable I shared a few moments ago about the wheat and the tares. We are moving toward, if you believe the Bible, then you believe that there is coming a day when Jesus is coming back and, and, and he is going to, he's going to rapture his church, but there's going to be the ultimate judgment. And we're moving in that direction. We're not becoming a higher form we're seeing evil become more pronounced, but we're seeing the sanctified become more sanctified as we move toward yes. that glorification of being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. But we cannot abandon our call to be salt and to be light. Because you see, our obedience, as, un- as uncomfortable as it may be, will have eternal significance. That's right. That is so amazing. You see, what you and I do in this world, in terms of following the Lord Jesus Christ and obedience, echoes into eternity. I want that to sink in. Yeah. Because if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to live for him. If you don't know him, my friend, time is short. And I'm not talking about the culture. I'm not talking about the country. I'm talking about your life. As, as a police officer, I've seen and had people expire and step from this world into the next as they were in my arms. You don't know what's going to happen when you leave from this place here today. You don't know what this week holds for you. I would appeal to you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you need to be a part of something bigger than America, something bigger than this culture. You need to be a part of the kingdom of God. And you think about what matters and the strange, and I do mean strange, paradox of who we are as believers that we read our Bible, study our Bible, we understand that Jesus could come for the church at any time. And so you think the temptation would be, well, then, you know, put your feet up, let everything just run amok. Jesus could come back. I'm often challenged on this. Don't you believe Jesus could come back at any time? What are you doing involved in this stuff? Because just in case, I'm a big fan of insurance, by the way, and savings. I think it's smart to save. I think it's good to have insurance because you never know. Jesus could come back today, and I'm living that way. Okay? By the way, that will keep you, that will keep you home at night if you believe that. That will keep your eyes in the right place. If you believe Jesus could come today... That's going to keep you from clicking onto websites that you ought not to be clicking. Okay? It's the fear of the Lord that causes you to depart from wickedness. Okay? But why do you guys register people to vote? And why are you guys... Because, listen, if he doesn't come back for three, four, five years, ten years, twenty, fifty years, I've got kids and I've got grandkids. On, on my watch, on our watch, we are going to be leaving them this nation that God has seen fit to place you in. And so, number one, and I love, I don't remember where I heard it, but remember this, everybody. We are not about creating the kingdom on earth. That cannot happen. Jesus does that when he comes back. When he comes back in the second coming, he's going to do that. What we are, and Tony made mention of it, we are, what we are excited about is the kingdom of God being planted inside of you by faith in Jesus, by you trusting Christ for what he's done on the cross for you, at the, yes. for your sins. He died there for you. You need to trust him. And we opened up this morning by challenging you that Paul told the church at Ephesus to stand, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. So we fight for the next hundred years, but we're ready to meet the Lord today. And I would submit to you that that is the, the, the most difficult form of discipleship there is. To plan for the long haul, but to be ready for the now. And yet I believe as I read my Bible, that's exactly what God has called us to do. It is incumbent upon me 
to leave my grandkids a nation that they can freely worship God like I had the chance to do. So listen, today after service, if you need prayer for anything at all, there's a prayer room right there to your left. If you'd like to give your heart to Jesus Christ, it's a decision you make. You have to make that decision. It's not by osmosis. It's not by attending church. You have to, you have to actually invite him into your life. You go back to that room. There'll be pastors and prayer elders there to pray with you. If you want to register to vote because you've been touched by what was said today, you can do that too out in the courtyard. This is a critical time. Tony's got a table outside and we encourage you to go on out there. He'll be at that table and you've got a book or two out there to, to uh, put in the hands of the people. But you guys, I want you to stand if you would. Let's all stand. And I want you to uh, stretch out your hands in prayer as I pray uh, over Tony. I know no one else in this nation that God has raised up for such a time as this and has given him access as God has given Tony. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brother and Lord. I am so delighted in how you do things. I first of all thank you, Lord God, that throughout the years, my brother has proven himself to be faithful and you have rewarded him, Lord, with more things. He was found to be faithful in a few, and now he's faithful in more. And that you'd continue to do that with Tony. And Father, that this upcoming election, righteousness would sweep this land, shockingly, on election night. May we watch it happen from the tip of Maine, and may we see it spread as the clock ticks. And Lord, by the end of the night, may there be a shockwave of righteousness that not only sweeps the west and the left coast, but Lord, Hawaii, of all places, might be visited by an outpouring of your Holy Spirit that your people would do the right thing. Lord, in Jesus' name, come and rain down revival upon America. And Lord, may we repent of our sins and seek your face and cry out to you. And Lord, we release and commit Tony Perkins to your hands, no greater place. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you.